Hi there, Terry here with another episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Kevin Perry, who is very well known for working at Leica on the feature films The Box Trolls, Kubo and the Two Strings, and The Missing Link. His career started back in 2010 after making a short stop-motion animated film called The Arctic Circle at Sheridan College, where I am currently studying animation myself. He has also been part of Variety Magazine's 10 Animators to Watch in 2016, and then in 2018 he moved on from Leica and back to Toronto to focus on social media full-time, where he shares his super fun and short stop-motion animations and video magic skills. And you might just say he's become insta-famous because he's racked up nearly 1 million followers on Instagram, over 77 million views and 500,000 subscribers on YouTube, and over 50,000 followers on Twitter. So Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm, I'm excellent, and I'm really happy you're here. I've uh, been trying to get you on for quite some time. And it's funny, like... My classmates at school always have like different requests on who I should bring on and everybody's like, oh, you should bring on Kevin. So glad you're finally here. Um, so there are a number of things I want to chat about in this podcast and, uh, you know, your career, where it began, how do you ended up at Leica and currently, you know, your path on social media where you've gained over a million followers. But let's kind of roll it all back to where it began. What was the dream that propelled you forward as a kid into choosing animation? Um, so I, I was never really, um, you know, animation was never really the focus for me as a kid. I was super into both magic and uh, special effects. Um, so I loved watching like behind the scenes featurettes on like monster makeup and um, how practical effects were done in movies. And then mix that with just a love for all things magic and magicians. Um, and I think those interests just combined and prope propelled me into wanting to get into filmmaking. Um, and then around the time I was in high school was when I decided to get into animation. Um, and that was when Pixar was kind of really, you know, hitting its peak. Um, and I was like, these, you know, these Pixar films are incredible. Maybe I could do something like that. <laughs> um, so that's, that was kind of the last thing that motivated me. And then, uh, yeah, so it was only about a few years before I decided, like, I had to go to college that I decided to get an animation. So I have a couple questions on that. First of all, like, do, do you, are you going to pursue magic? Like, that's, that's really interesting <laughs> that you wanted to do magic and ended up as an animator. <laughs> yeah, so I, I uh, attempted as a child. <laughs> um, I used to put on magic shows in my living room for my family. Um, and I... I always wanted to be a magician, but I just never had the the stage presence. Um, you know, not, like 90% of being a magician is just being able to work a crowd, and I had I had none of that uh, skill. Well, <laughs> so it, it, it didn't pan out. So, so that, yeah, creating creating magic videos online is my version of being a magician. Fair. Okay. So also kind of a follow up to the Sheridan thing. Like Sheridan's a pretty rigorous program to get into. So you had to, I mean, you had to put together a portfolio and, and like it's tough to get in. So like, how was that experience just kind of deciding a few years before you wanted to do that? Because a lot yeah. of people will spend years and years practicing for their portfolios. Yeah, so I actually failed the first time applying. Um, oh. so when, I applied, when I applied from high school, I didn't get in. And that was largely because I didn't have enough preparation. Um, you know, I come from a small town in Northern Ontario. And like life drawing wasn't a thing that existed. Um, a lot of 
animation training wasn't a thing that existed. Uh, the internet, like YouTube wasn't a thing when I was applying to share. <laughs> um, so there weren't many resources. Um, the only thing I remember learning animation from, I ordered like a VHS set from from some like company in Vancouver. To, that's how I had to learn about animation. Um, so I yeah, so obviously I failed the first time around. And then the year I went to Sheridan, so I, I applied for a general year, like the art fundamentals course. And the year I went, they only did it for two years, I believe. They did an art fundamentals animation course where you spend the entire year focusing on developing your portfolio to get in um, so every school assignment was a portfolio piece for getting an animation um, and he and after doing that year i like barely made it in i was like a few points ahead of getting in oh man so yeah. when you were in so sheridan is very focused on developing 2d skills specifically yeah. um for like tv shows and whatnot um, you can specialize in like 3D animation and also stop motion. Did you know you wanted to do stop motion right away? Like, how no, did... I didn't. I did not even touch stop motion until third year. So how did that happen? <laughs> it was um, uh, Chris Walsh. He had a course. He started that year, I believe, or it was the year before, and it was like a third year intro to stop motion course. Um, and just the second I attempted, I was like, yeah, this is, I get this. <laughs> so what meshed for you with stop motion that I, uh, I guess other forms of animation didn't? It must just be the, like the way my brain's wired. I don't know. It, it just clicked for me with, with tradition, with hand-drawn animation, I just didn't have the drawing skills. Like I could see the animation, but it wouldn't get out of my hand onto the paper. <laughs> and then obviously there's a lot of technical um, barriers for CG, but for stop motion, I had I knew what I wanted to animate, and I could just grab it and do it. There, there was nothing in the way of me getting my animation out. So your your like thesis film, The Arctic Circle, is is like stellar. It's animated really well. The sets, the characters, everything. Did you, did you like go from never touching stop motion and until third year to developing that like? just through the classes or were you doing stuff on your own time? Were you like doing started, all of your assignments in stop motion? Yeah, I kind of got bit by the bug and uh, <laughs> just started experimenting in my apartment um, for the year before making that film. Um, I just made some very basic puppets and just did some like timing tests, like bouncing balls and some basic performance stuff. But I, I think back to animating that film and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> Like I, I did zero planning for the animation and just just winged it and it just kind of came out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you clearly have a natural talent for it. So like there, there must have just been something inside that I just, I don't know, just like the way the way like some artists can just designs just pour out of them. Um, like that was just stop motion clicked for me. So so what is that thing that clicks for you? And is it like touching a puppet and being able to move it? Is it like uh, I don't know. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's the touch. Um, when you're, you know, when you're toggling your your frames, animating like you're live to your previous frames. I think there's just something about being able to see that. Like, you, there's this gut instinct when you know the frame is right, and you can like you can hit that shoot button. Um, and yeah, I think some animators are just in tune with that. Nice. So, how did you go from uh, your thesis film to working at Leica then? 
So I, I had a, I had two jobs before Leica. Um, I went right out of school. I went to Guru, which is a CG studio, um, and I had never done any CG before. But they they trusted me enough. So wait, they saw your stop motion thesis and were like, "You're for CG now." Yeah, they just they 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 essentially said, "We don't care what medium it is. You you can animate well enough." Um, so I went to Guru for about uh, three quarters of a year, and then while I was there. Um, there was a job posting for a studio out in San Francisco. It was a Henry Selleck film. Um, the now infamous shut down <laughs> the Shadow King. Um, and so I went, I applied for that, got it, and I went out to San Francisco for a bit. Um, wait, how, wait, how did you apply? Just with your thesis film and then you got it? Yes, yeah, it's actually, it's a funny story. Um, and I kind of use this as an example of like sh like shoehorning your way into the industry. Um, they they were very beginning of production, and they put up a post for a story job, so some kind of storyboarding position. Um, and I was like, well, here's a uh, a new stop motion feature that's happening. Um, and I just took that email that they put for the story post, and I just emailed it directly and said, I want to animate on this film. Here's my uh, my thesis film and then like within a couple hours they sent that off to the animation director and within like an hour he emailed me back and like within a day we were chatting about me coming out there um <laughs> super lucky but also i had to like you know i kind of weaseled my way in which is sometimes you have to do that well that's also i mean that's fine <laughs> yeah um so then i well that got shut down everybody knows but yeah then, mm, a bunch yeah, so of yeah. When I was at Sheridan, a, a recruiter from Leica came to visit, and I had about half my thesis film finished at that point. And I showed it to her, and she obviously she responded well to it, and it obviously made its way to the people at Leica. It like went into the vault of like people they might call one day. Um, and so when the project in San Francisco shut down, when Disney canceled it, um, the a animation director at Leica kind of emailed everyone who got fired and was like, <laughs> you know, we, we need more people out here. So I got a, I got a call that day. Um, and then within a few months, I was out in Portland. Oh, wow. Gosh. And on a visa too, I guess, because you're Canadian, right? Yeah. So yeah, these larger companies will uh, take care of all that stuff. Nice. It's funny, when I, went, when I went out to the Disney gig in San Francisco, all my legal paperwork had like a big Mickey Mouse watermark on the top of the page. <laughs> So like the border agents would just see that and be like, all right, approved. <laughs> oh, I guess they're used to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where did you start it at Leica? Like what was your first animation that you did there? So I started there as an animation assistant. Um, and a lot of that is testing things for the animators. Mm. Um, so, you know, if there's a shot that say a character has to burst out of curtains, well, they have to figure out how those curtains are going to animate. Um, and it's not worth the animator's time to spend a week testing that, so they'll give it to an assistant. Um, so they, I would go to the rigging department and say, oh, I think they should be rigged up this way. And I would test those for a few days um, until I so, could. So just like days of, of like opening and closing curtains different ways? Yeah, like little stop motion curtains, like animating them. Um, and just working out systems to to prep for the animators so when they could get on their shots, they could um, have something that worked. So it was a lot of that. 
or like you know we need we need little pieces of cheese to cut in this shot so you test that and present it to them uh you're so, kind of like proof of concepting stuff so what is the caliber of animation that you're doing in these test shots are you doing like full 24 frames per second like amazing fluid it, stuff it depends um most of the time you do like you'd shoot it on twos um but if you as an assistant you're trying to prove yourself so right. every once in a while you'd be like oh, i got this and you'd shoot it on on uh, 24 frames per second just to like impress everyone above you <laughs> and then so what was what was the shot that you used to impress everybody <laughs> um i can't remember on box trolls it's so long ago um i did quite a bit of testing on the there's that big mecha drill thing um and it was like four feet tall yeah um, so i did quite a bit of testing on that um, I, it was probably just a bunch of tests that grouped together. Fair enough, fair enough. So, like, at what point were you pretty confident that you were going to move your your way up from assistant to an actual character animator? Um, I I wasn't too confident. It actually came as a surprise because I I was only on the last half of box trolls, kind of like the final push, and then um, that was wrapping, and so as a film wraps, you know, you're, you're on uh, contract and you kind of like think, oh, I got to find a job somewhere else in the meantime until the next film rolls around. And I figure, oh, I'm, I'm like the lowest on the totem pole. So I'll just go, I'll go work on another movie. I'll come back here after. Um, so I was working on, I have had applied to Anomalisa, which was shooting like kind of right around the end of box rolls. And we we're like halfway through the process of me getting onto that movie. And then my boss came to me. He's like, he's like, oh, do you want to come back like a month after Box Trolls to start on Kubo, and we'll make you a full time animator? Yeah. <laughs> like, so I call. I was like, oh, no, I'm Lisa. I can't work on your movie. Oh no. Um, so <laughs> well, that's said, amazing. How many assistant animators are there at, at like at a time? Um, there's usually about maybe like four or five. Four or five, and then how many? like uh, animators or lead animators are there? Uh, maybe like two or three. Gosh, so the entire like uh, Box Trolls movie was animated by like six, seven people? No, no, there's sorry, there's there's leads who kind of oversee the animation. Yeah. Um, but actual, like total animators is like 25 to 30. Gosh, that's still really small. Like that's yeah. not that, that many people. Yeah. Um, how many people are in the like production, like fabrication department with puppets and everything? There's like, there's a hundred or two. Like, there's quite oh, a bit. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Um, so I guess you were offered the role to become an, like a full animator on Kubo. What was the biggest thing that you learned as an assistant in animation or just like in your career at that point? Um, well, so as an assistant, you do the testing part of it, but then you also get to do, um, you get to do shots as well for the movie. And my first shot on box rolls was like, one of the characters looks out a window and in the distance on the street, you see like a trash can lid roll down and like swirl and hit the ground. Um, so that was my first shot. And then you'll do stuff anytime there's a cut to and there's a hand grabbing something, like you'll, you'll start doing shots like that. Um, and then you evolve to shots, say like a shot where a character just has to like look from point A to point B, where there's like not much acting going on. So you start with these little, uh, like, peppered-in shots. 
Um, and really the thing you learn during that is just confidence as an animator. Um, because you have to, you know, your animation is being shown in a theater to a hundred people and they're framing through it with laser pointers, critiquing everything. Um, That's <laughs> so intimidating. Got, yeah, so it, it is. And you just learn to have confidence in yourself and, you know, accept criticism and, um, yeah, just kind of be part of production. So why do you think they wanted you to come on as a full-time animator um, with Kubo then after being an assistant? Like, what was the unique skill that they were like, we need Kevin for this? I'm not sure. I think I had, I think I might have proven myself um, in some kind of technical capacity. Um, I've always leaned more towards being good at technical things. Um, like, there are animators who are incredible actors um, and just the emotion pours out of them into their puppets. But I've, I've, that's never been my strong suit. I've been better at the technical stuff. Um, so when I came on to Kubo, I was assigned um, all of the origami development. Right. So I think they trusted me to get into like the science of origami because um, we had quite a few shots where paper had to actually fold into things and it was like pattern development and um, like how origami would move and those things. So I think my skill set um, worked well with that. Fair. Um, leading up to this chat, I posted on my Instagram asking if people had questions for you. So I'm just going to pepper them throughout, but a couple of them come to mind right now. And one was like, what was your work ethic like at Leica specifically? Like, I guess, are you working hard all the time? Like long hours? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it depends. Um, there's, you know, there's that old kind of film adage of hurry up and wait. <laughs> um, so sometimes you're, you're right against it you know, sweating bullets, like animating like a madman. <laughs> and then sometimes you're sitting around for days while the camera crew uh, sets up for your shot. Um, like you're not doing anything? Yeah, there were definitely full days of doing nothing. Um, oh, wow. We are kind of just sitting on your set and maybe once in a while you'll input with the camera team. Um, but for some of the more complex shots, yeah, they, they need days to set up and light the thing. Gosh, um, what, how do you keep focus for hours on end on like a very small task when you're animating? Um, I think that's just, if you're a, a stop motion animator, I think you just love <laughs> doing that kind of stuff. Yes. No I, one who hates minutia is gonna get into stop motion animation. I know, I, I don't think anybody would get into stop motion for like any other reason unless they love yeah. it. <laughs> well, but for me, sure. like people always ask me how I have the patience for it. Yeah. Um, and I've always kind of deflected that as, you know, it's not, to me, it's not really about patience. It's about problem solving. Um, for me, like every time I touch a puppet and move it, it's solving a puzzle. Um, if you look at the performance as a puzzle and like everything is just about solving that. Yeah. I totally feel that. And it's, and it's like fun. And when you hit it right, it just feels good. Exactly. Um, yeah. It looks good and you just like, I just, well, when I do it, I just feel excited. Even though I'm like by myself, nobody's yeah. around. I'm in like a studio, it's dark. I'm like, I can't wait until somebody sees this months from now. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. there have been times like that on set where I just, there's just a frame that just hits it right on. 
and you're like, you just want to scream it from the roof. <laughs> <laughs> but then you got to keep animating. <laughs> um, what was the weirdest, this is another question. What was the weirdest thing that happened during filming or of any of the movies that you filmed on? Um, oh, so there was an incident on uh, the box trolls where I was filming um, like eggs up high in a raptor set. Like he's way up in a ceiling. So it was like a six or seven foot set. And I had this, I had these wooden stairs up to it. Um, and I had to like keep climbing these stairs, animate back down the stairs, up the stairs, animate. Oh my gosh. And one, and they didn't, um, we didn't have like any hand railings on them, on the stairs. It was just like a five foot set of stairs. And one frame, I just got in the zone and just went the wrong way at the top of the stairs and just like, just Mr. Magoo it right off the stairs. So I took like a five foot fall tumbling through the set and like light stands and I ended up like bashing my head on the wall on the uh, the way down and luckily I didn't hit anything like all the light stands um, just your body <laughs> yeah and it like and of course they like you know HR starts freaking out so they like sent it they sent me to the hospital um, <laughs> to get like checked out and there was like the doctor noticed he's like what's this tiny brick pattern like imprinted into your head. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a tiny, tiny bricks on that set. Um, so I have this, I have this medical report of like, it says fell five feet off a platform while animating. Oh my goodness. That's scary though. <laughs> After that, they initiated a, uh, a mandatory handrail. Yeah, I'm, of course. Um, can you walk me through the pipeline at, at Leica or, or just a professional studio in general. Um, I got a lot of questions about like, how does that whole process go? So you're animating, but what happens? I mean, you, you kind of talked about the assistant thing and then the animation yeah. thing, but like, can you just walk me through the Cools notes? For uh, like animating a shot? Uh, I guess, sure, like the pipeline of like, I guess the director, the script writer, the storyboard to you, to oh. all that stuff. If it's, if, you know, just quickly, I guess. I don't know. I'm not too sure about the pipeline before animation. <laughs> All I know is there's a storyboard and the voices are recorded um, before animation. Um, but I can, maybe if I give you the rundown of like a typical shot for an animator, that might help. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, so as an animator, you're assigned a shot um, and what you're given are the boards, like the animatics. So the boards with the music and voices and all that. Um, and what you'll do is you assign the shot and then you go to edit to speak the, to the director and you'll watch the shot, the storyboards over and over with the director and the director says, you know, I'm looking for this type of performance. Um, like, you know, like they're directing an actor. They're saying, I want this, think about this. I want this kind of pose. Um, and they'll send you off to rehearse the shot. And then from there you would, you would visit anything you need for your shot. You would visit rigging and get them to start working on it. Um, so if you need a paper to fly through the air, you'll get a rig made for that. Um, if you need your puppet to do this and that, you'll get a rig made for that. Um, so that might take a half a day or full day. Um, and then you kind of get everything prepped to do your shot. And then you're left alone, you rehearse the shot. So that would be on twos, 12 frames per second. Um, and then you send that in and then you go back to edit with the director and it's the director's chance to see if you're on the same page. Um, 
When you say rehearse, are you talking about like when you post videos of you acting it out, or do you animate the entire scene? On we'll two? animate the whole shot on twos. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So that's the rehearsal stage of it, um, and then yeah, once you send that in, you go back to edit to review that with the director, and that's kind of their last chance to say if you didn't quite get this right, fix this, fix that, um, and then once you're sent off after the rehearsal you launch on the hero shot and you just have to get it right um and then yeah you get through the animation and then it's sent off and you hear back yay or nay <laughs> most of the time it's it's approved there's very little time where it's not yeah i can imagine what's the toughest part for you through all this like is it getting the acting right or like the final shot right or what um for me i always put like a ton of emphasis on the, the prep for the shot. Um, so I would spend like, I would spend way too much time preparing where to the point where like the, the um, production managers are like, are you going to start animating like sometime <laughs> soon? <laughs> um, but you know, it's, you know, animation is mostly prep. Like if you prepare right, you'll, you'll get the shot right. Cool. So I do want to move on and talk about where you're currently at, but I'm just wondering, like, if if somebody wants to work at, at Leica, what are they looking for specifically now that you've been there and you've animated there and you've you've worked with people? Yeah, I would say for animation, um, you know, I've seen people get jobs there with, you know, like a demo reel that's just a steel armature, and they might do one decent walk and one good acting shot. Um, but just like a steel armature on a wooden background, no flash. <laughs> um, yeah, like you don't, if you want to animate, you don't have to build a puppet and like so little clothes. And So they want to see that you know the, I guess, the fundamentals and you can do some performance? Exactly, if you can control a puppet. Um, and and like what does performance mean? Does it mean like a happy walk or a sad walk or like a lip sync? Yeah, um... Depends. Like a if you can just do a good solid walk, like a generic walk, that's that's yeah. a like walks. Walks are incredibly difficult. They're probably the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Because um, you just know when they don't look right. Um, but one of the exercises that all so they like will have interns for animation. Um, and the the big assignment at the end of the internship is a puppet has to. So a puppet's standing there. It's like waiting at a bus stop or something. So just staying there waiting. And they have to wave to their friend off screen and then realize it's not their friend and kind of like play it off as cool. Um, so if, if you can get that to read, that's a yeah. very difficult thing to do. Yeah, I was just thinking, um, like, I don't even know how to act that out <laughs> without it being ridiculous. Yeah, so that an assignment like that will show, yeah, a good, under good understanding of acting and a good understanding of performance, much better than just performing to a piece of dialogue from a movie. Gotcha, makes sense, yeah. cool. Um, so let's jump forward a little bit and talk about where you're currently at, but um, what was the decision that made you move back to Canada and pursue your own career in your own hands? Um, there were a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, my wife and I, we moved out yeah, to San Francisco in like 2011. Um, so we were on the West Coast, United States for, so 
2011 to 20, so it was like seven years, um, kind of away from family and friends. Um, so that, that had a big impact on it. Like we kind of just got tired of that and wanted to come back home. Um, and then at the same time, I started developing this career online through social media. Um, and just like as a hobby or intention? Yeah, it was, it was on the side. I was just making stuff and I kept getting job offers like, oh, we'll fly you out to this country. We'll fly you out here. We need you for this job. <laughs> and I was like, I can't do it. I have this full time job. <laughs> um, so more and more opportunities presented itself themselves to uh, to make the leap. Um, so so what was that? What was the ending push that made you say, I'm going to do this? Um, well, we were wrapping, we had wrapped Missing Link. Well, the, the end of Missing Link was coming up. And I knew there'd be like a lull in production at Leica. Um, so there'd be some downtime. And I was like, do I really want to, like, it sounds nice going to work and having downtime. But I was like, I'm enjoying this social media so much. Um, I can either, for the social media work, I can't do this part time anymore. I either have to like stop or jump in full time. Um, so kind of everything came together. I was like, it makes sense to move back um, to, you know, take my career into my own hands, not work studio hours. Um, <laughs> what <laughs> essentially was just do whatever I want. On, on social yeah. Life. What was the toughest thing to give up from the studio life? Um, I, I really do miss like being there with the team. Yeah. Like every day, you know, you do your morning coffee with the whole animation team uh, and just hang out. So I, I do miss that. Um, and I do miss like just being left alone on a stage every day to like animate feature level stuff. Like I just love doing that. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't have that experience anymore right now with my own stuff. I still get to animate, but not at that level. Right. Right. Do you want to, do you want to animate at that level again? Do you think? Um, if it made sense. Um, for now, I'm in the mentality that I'll just ride this social media wave. <laughs> fair, fair. Until I build up a huge stop motion studio here in Toronto and and <laughs> make a feature film. Um, yeah. Can you kind of just give an overview of what you describe your career right now as, like what you what it entails and what you're doing? Yeah. So I kind of operate as like a mini creative studio. Um, like half the work that I do is for brand, like I'll create videos for companies and they just post it on their channels. And I'm kind of like a hidden director on them. And then half the work is, yeah, promoting stuff on my social media channels. So I just have a big enough audience where I can uh, make a living promoting things. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> so what does your average day look like then? Um, it depends. Um, all, like all of August was just brand work. Um, so I, that was incredibly swamped. So this is stuff that we never would see by following your social media. No, no. The All of August was like, um, I did like three Listerine projects yeah. Yeah. Um, and then peppered in some like, yeah, some other projects. Um, and then, so right now I'm just doing my own work. Um, I just said, like, I just want to stop doing brand stuff for a month and just focus on my own work. So what is the, I guess you said you're kind of following the path, but 
this path, but what is the dream you're pursuing right now? You know, you started at wanting to pursue magic and now you're, how does that change? Um, honestly, I'm just taking it day by day. <laughs> um, like right, right now it's all about like, you know, as I'm getting older, like work-life balance becomes a priority. Um, yeah, sure. So right now I'm, I'm just really enjoying being on my own time, uh, and being able to say like, yes or no to whatever projects I want. Um, Sweet. so I, I don't know how long it'll last, but I'll. I'll uh, do it while I can. Yeah, for sure. And that's like a super amazing and rare opportunity. Um, so that's that's some of the highlights. Are there lowlights to what you're doing now too? Um, there haven't been, like starting out there were when I was first like talking to agencies and brands, um, when I was representing myself, there was like projects I would get halfway through and they would fall through, uh, um, like just just stuff like that. But now I have an agent who takes care of everything. Um, so I, yeah, as it grows, I'm getting more support. Um, nice. So there's, there's less of that nonsense. <laughs> Does your agent actively, I guess, seek out things for you or do you have, because of yeah. your giant social media following, are you just naturally getting enough requests? Yeah, there's enough requests and I just kind of, Put them all onto him to to handle, um, but yeah, the I think like stu like notes from brands are probably the worst thing. Um, like I'll I'll spend a week like just perfecting something and I'll send it and they'll be like, oh we didn't mention this before, but can you add uh, this thing? And I'm like, <laughs> help me go at it yourself. <laughs> yeah. What have you done to in so you have like a huge massive following? What have you done to intentionally build that following over the years? Because I know that when I first started following you on Instagram, when you started posting behind the scenes of Kubo. Yeah. Um, so what have you intentionally done to gain all the followers you have? The, the first thing I did, um, it's, I kind of call it like pretending to be an expert. Um, so you whatever, are an expert. <laughs> <laughs> I guess technically, but um, presenting yourself as an expert, I guess is a better way to phrase it. Um, whatever the field you're in, if, the, if you have a social media account and, you know, you either have to impress people with like, look at me, look at this cool thing I made or learn from me, like, here's some good information. Um, so what I just purposely would post the behind the scenes of Kubo and I would just write as much as Instagram would allow me in a description, um, just to, to present myself as you know, I'm a stop motion expert. If you're, if you're into stop motion, you should follow me. Um, and that, that was very conscious, uh, kind of the way I approached it. Like I wanted to appear like an expert and that, that was the first kick, um, of followers. And then, like, I don't really know what made it take off after. I think it's just making cool stuff, honestly. But aren't you also kind of playing to the Instagram algorithm a little bit with the videos that you've made? Like they're very simple in design with like yeah. colors and they're like short. Like your yeah, I guess the, um, and stuff. The fruit? Yeah. Yeah, so the fruit one, um, yeah, that was very much deliberate. I was like, the internet loves oddly satisfying stuff. 
Um, so I, yeah, I totally built that project off that premise. Like I was going to make, you know, if I just slice fruit, make it visually interesting, the colors pop, the sounds are, are cool. Um, and yeah, that was a hit. Like that, that project alone brought in like a quarter million Instagram followers. Like just That's from crazy. That's insane. Um, so from my point of view and a lot of people's point of view, it all just looks like success, success, sex. But so have there been things that you've done that have kind of flopped or not gone the way that you would have expected through this journey? Um, yeah, that's, I feel like that's kind of been the last year or so has just been experimenting. Um, I don't know if, like I always, I always feel good about the videos I make. Like if I don't like them, I'm not going to put them out. Um, but it's more about what can I make that will have long-term life to it as a series or, you know, bringing in ad revenue. Um, so that's kind of what I'm experimenting with on YouTube right now. Right. Um, like what kind of videos can I make that will perform well, that'll bring in revenue that I can stay interested in over a long period of time. Um, so my, yeah, my YouTube channel has been an absolute mess this whole year. Um, and that's kind of something I'm tackling last, like over this past week and this week is developing a new series that I'm like just super excited about that I think could go on forever. Um, really? Like with stop motion then? Or imagine? Yes, or yeah, stop motion. Nice. So wow. I, I, I did a test early in the year. So I've just been testing all year. So in January, I made a video. Um, it was like, it was called, can I animate a bar of soap? <laughs> and I was like, if I take the most boring object and challenge myself to animate it. And like, I did a long form YouTube video where it's like from idea to final video. Um, and then, yeah, it performed super well on YouTube. And I was like, okay, I can take the most boring thing and somehow make it exciting. Um, so I'm, I'm going to follow that format and see how it goes. I like it. It's like, I've seen that video as well. Um, it's like, will it blend or like those, you know, like, will it like the hydro, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Crush. Can I animate it? Yeah. Um, I can see you taking like the most random stuff and, and animating it and clearly you have the skill. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. That's a little bit more personal, I guess. So, uh, you saw my wizard animation, but, uh, what can I do to guess, I guess, capitalize off of that based on what you said about presenting myself as an expert and behind the scenes and stuff. What would you recommend I do now to keep that going? Um, like to, to use it as much as possible to grow a following. Yeah. Um, I mean, for some reason, like time lapses of stop motion is performed super well. Like definitely invest in like time lapsing stuff. Well, I didn't. I didn't do that when I was animating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have, not, not, have like, like I, stuff behind the scenes, but not much. Yeah, because honestly, like the animation, the actual content of the animation, sometimes doesn't matter. Um, like for all my stop motion, the the behind the scenes perform ten times better than the actual animation. It's crazy. Um, that would honestly be my my tip. All right. So um, going forward, I'm gonna make sure I always do a behind the scenes time lapse. Yeah, and I, I always do that like vertical, like the split screen yeah. method. And I like I always take the extra couple hours to sync up the time lapse exactly with the animation, 
like frame per frame they're exactly synced they're so fun to watch though i like i i always watch them <laughs> like I, I see people do them the time lapses of stop motion and they're just a little off like they don't line up perfectly and they you, you don't have the context like you need yeah. them to yeah it's really worth it to put in the, uh, the effort on that gotcha so like what if you have to go back and redo some frames do you edit that out of the time lapse as well yeah like I go in and like frame by frame match up the time. Oh wow! Okay. Oh my gosh. Um, interesting. <laughs> um, okay. So, if you were to like, this is kind of like one of my last questions, but like, if you were to, I guess, create a course on how to be like Kevin Perry in his career right now, what 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 courses would you include in that? Like I like from my perspective, there'd be the the one on like how to stop motion basics and there's like one on like how to build a social media following like what is what is the course package you put together for your career like for making social media content or just yeah or just like it, it doesn't even have to be that it could be like uh understanding your value and like pursuing your stuff like that even yeah like just um, where you are at in your in your career in life right now my I think my whole career, whether, you know, stop motion or um, social media has been, it's all built upon visual storytelling. So that, that would be my, like, my building block for, for all courses I would ever teach. Um, like, I'm super influenced by uh, silent comedians like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. Um, like I've gone through so many of their films and just dissected like shot by shot um, their performances and their camera choices. Um, and that that goes into everything that I do now. Um, just like clear visual storytelling. So there's like, so you don't need any dialogue or like text or anything. Yeah, for me, like I, I personally believe like there's such a resurgence of silent film on Instagram now. If I make videos that don't need a word spoken, um, like that means the whole world can watch them. They don't rely right. on English. They don't rely on subtitles. Um, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And that's a really good point. Like I don't, I don't turn on my volume when I'm on social at all. Exactly. Like most people are watching it in line grabbing a coffee and if they, yeah. can, if they can get your video with no sound it's, it's so much better yeah i mean there's like a rare video i'll save to watch when i do have sound but if if i need to understand it with sound i'm just like next whatever exactly. so there's too much on there to watch <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that, that's um, not that's also a thing like frame frame one make it happen like if you're waiting a second to get into your video then you've lost yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, it's 100%, yeah. Um, cool. So I guess we can just wrap it up. But uh, I was going to ask you what's next, but it already sounds like you're working on this new series for YouTube. So unless there's other things that you'd like to share. Um, no, I'm just toying around with this, uh, this new series. So I, on my YouTube, I've been doing these like 50 Ways videos. Yes. For, for like the last year Ever. or two. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I just, that's a, those are a good example of like, I enjoyed making them in the start <laughs> and then like, they just perform super well. And I just kind of like bought into the hype and just kept making them and making them, um, to the point where I got exhausted and I just don't care anymore about those. Um, 
and now so i'm like you know you kind of get burnout creator burnout for stuff like that and so i really want to focus on yeah this new stop motion series i'm doing i don't know how it's going to perform but um like i'm really making a video that i'm put like i'm so inspired to just put everything i have into it um and i think that that come that's kind of the success or the secret to success online is like if you're making stuff that you're putting everything into and it's like a hundred percent you then it's going to do better than anything anyone can force themselves to make i 100 percent agree with that and i think that's a really important thing to understand too when you're when you're producing content yeah because uh, it's very easy to burn out and also just to make content for the sake of making content and then when you're doing that it has no impact exactly yeah if you're if you're forcing yourself to make something and it's not you like it doesn't feel like what you should be making then it's yeah it's not going to perform too well well and people can tell right away it's 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 just doesn't stand out yeah it's, people it's just, have such a sensitivity to like to authenticity they'll yeah, it's true. they'll they'll notice right away if it's not there yeah um cool is there anything else you'd like to share before we uh wrap it all up um anything you tell younger kevin or like you want <laughs> uh other people at Sheridan to know, or just in general? Um, I mean, it, like it's, it might be easy to look at my career and try, like, and I did this too, when I was at school, I saw people I looked up to and I was like, you know, I want that career. Where they are, like, tell me how they got there and I'll take, I'll like replicate every step to get there. Um, but it, it honestly, it's so different for every person. Um, like, I didn't think I'd ever be doing this as a job. Um, and I honestly don't know how I got to this point. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's just super organic. Like, you know, your career will take you into random places. Um, and, yeah, just, just follow it and just follow your passions and what you enjoy doing. And yeah. you'll, you'll kind of, you'll end up where you're supposed to be. Yeah, I think especially that's really... in this like in social media, this like you know the social media driven world. It's you know you can kind of see some like myself. You know, I have a following online. That's my job. Like it, it would be easy to look at me and say like, oh, I want that too. How do I replicate that? But you know, I just I got here by just doing what I love to do. Like no one forced me to make videos on the weekends while I was working a full time job. Um, I just loved doing it. And I couldn't stop, and that's what got me to where I am today. Yeah, but I also like I, I totally agree with that. But you also had some of the like reflection and and uh, realization that you could you could turn that into something more for yourself, too. Yeah. So, but anyways, it was, I think that it was never the plan. It just my passions <laughs> led me here. <laughs> well, that's great. And I think that's a, that's a really good advice to end on. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin, for coming on the podcast. It's been a real nice pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, of course. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Cool. And if you're listening and you'd like to follow Kevin's work, you probably are already. Um, you could do so by looking him up on Instagram under Kevin B. Perry or finding him on YouTube by looking up his name, which is just Kevin Perry. And that's all for now. Okay, bye.